going to continue this morning on our subject of a proper biblical perspective. I thought maybe we'd give at least two more on this on this subject because there's a couple of characters. Uh, there's a couple of characters you really can't leave out, and actually one of them this morning we're going to discuss is an Old Testament character again. But probably next week we'll deal with one New Testament character along these same lines. We began our study in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. The scripture that we read is Luke 11, verse 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Now the obvious uh, main uh, text or main understanding to this passage is that Jesus has come and with the finger of God and with the spirit of God casts out devils. He has the power to come into wherever the devil is and overthrow him. This is not by accident. Uh, this is purely by design and his intent. It'll never come a time where the devil can ever get a hand upon the Lord. That's the clear understanding of this text. That the stronger than he, the great strong man in this text, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The weaker one is the devil. I would that all religious denominations understood this. I'm confident that a lot of people do not understand the teaching of this text. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed in religious circles around us how easy it is for the devil to deceive and take people to hell and yet how hard it is for Jesus to save somebody by their teachings. Uh, you know, God needs you to take the gospel. God needs you to be diligent. God needs you to go and preach and teach somebody. And if you don't go there and talk to them and convince them, well, they'll just die and go to hell. Well, uh, my question to that is, is what devil in hell went to that person and convinced them to deny the Lord Jesus? Oh, what well, you're just you're born a sinner and you're just born dying and going to hell to start with. So it's easier to go to hell than it is to go to heaven. Is that what you're telling me? The reality is, is that God has never used the means of men to save the first sinner. God has always used the power of the Holy Spirit, the immediate work. And when we say immediate, we're not talking about instantaneous, even though the work is instantaneous. We're talking about immediate. I am immediate. I am is without, and a mediator or immediate is a go-between. He uses the immediate work of the Holy Spirit. Without a mediator, the Holy Spirit does it himself, is what that means. He is the greater than the devil. But as human beings, we also need to understand that while Jesus is greater than the devil and Jesus is greater than us also, 
the devil also was greater than you. And as we've seen in the past, be it Adam or Noah, Abraham, David or Solomon, whatever their greatest trait was here in this world, the devil oftentimes would use that very trait against them and bring them, in some cases, to ruin. The man we want to speak about this morning is, in fact, the great strong man of Israel, the man Samson. Solomon was no wiser. There was no man wiser than Solomon that we looked at last week. Today we look at that there's no man stronger than Samson. And yet for all of Samson's strengths against those around him, Samson was not strong enough to control what was in him. It's interesting as you peruse these characters, you may also be reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to. We all may look at people around us, be they people in the church or people in the world, and see the disastrous things that people do, and we, we may say, well, I just I can't believe that happened. Why not? Folks, the reality is that as fallen human beings, as fallen sinful creatures, when we walk out of the doors of the church this morning, when we walk out of this building, every single one of us are in a position where we could break every one of the Ten Commandments before we go to bed tonight. Every single one of us are in that position. And it bothers me oftentimes when I, when I hear people. They oftentimes kind of get over there like that publican and that Pharisee that was praying in the temple, Lord, I thank Thee that I'm not as other men. You'll oftentimes find someone who is very slow to be kind and very slow to be forgiving. Is oftentimes an individual who feels like I'm not like other men. That's a, that'd be a disastrous position for any of us to be in, wouldn't it? And you know, I, I listen to I listen to some of the preaching that goes on in the world around us today, particularly uh, some of the reformed preaching of this. Uh, progressive sanctification that if you're truly a child of God, uh, you'll just progress and you progress and progress to get better and better and better. And as a matter of fact, there are uh, some Pentecostal teachings that teach that you can one day just uh, get so sanctified that you live above sin the rest of your days. Was that the case of Solomon? Did Solomon progress in his sanctification to become just so holy he lived above sin? You've got the record. What happened? It didn't. Solomon fell to his 700 wives. Samson himself that we will look at today. Did Samson progress so great in his progressive sanctification to become so holy that he lived above sin? No, he didn't. As a matter of fact, both of these men that we looked at Solomon last week and Samson this week. Both of these men had such a bright future ahead of them. 
such promise in their life. And yet we realize that Samson spent a large portion of the remainder of his days grinding in the house of the wicked, for he had fallen prey to thinking of himself more highly than he ought. If it weren't for the book of Hebrews, there might be some question as to where Samson is today. But Hebrews chapter 11 uh, is this hero's hall of faith that's located here in the New Testament. It goes through the faith of a lot of these Old Testament characters and what they did by faith. And obviously, if anybody is doing anything by faith, that person's a child of God. They may stumble and they may fall, but if they have faith in their life, they have the Holy Spirit because faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. Hebrews chapter 12, after it lists this long uh, cloud of witness of these who walked by faith, the question is asked in Hebrews chapter 11. Did I say 12 or 11 a while ago? Hebrews 11. It's Hebrews 11, verse 32. He says, And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. Despite his faults and failures, Samson was still a child of God. When we teach the doctrine of election, when we teach the doctrine of God's predestination, the most common objection to it is, well, if that's the case, if God has saved me despite what I'll do, then it doesn't matter what I do. That's an erroneous way of looking at the doctrine of grace. A husband or a wife to the best of their ability, may declare to their spouse, I love you no matter what. All parents should declare to their children, and most of us do, I love you no matter what. When you look at your children, is that not the idea that you yourself have? I love you no matter what. Do you say that in hopes that the child will just go off and wreck their life then? Or is that a statement made to remind the child, I love you no matter what. And I say this to encourage you to do what is right. I say this though as an encouragement in times when you will do wrong. God loves us no matter what. That statement then should not be used uh, as Paul says, well, Paul tells the church at Galatia, he says, use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. If this is the truth, if God loves us no matter what, then we ought to use this truth to better our life and serve those that are around us. Not to serve ourselves, 
forget about God. When you look at the life of Samson, in many cases, Samson is actually a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've, as we've stated before, when, when you look at these men of the Old Testament and you look at these types and shadows, these men that outline and picture the life of Christ, there's two things that you see. Number one, there's enough things right about the person that it points you to and reminds you of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also enough things wrong about the person that it points you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lest we think too much of these characters themselves. So, for example, you know, one of the first things that you find, uh, you find Samson's life recorded beginning in the book of Judges, chapter 13. And one of the first things that you find is that an angel of the Lord uh, appeared unto Samson's mother and announces unto her, Behold, though thou art barren, thou shalt conceive and bring forth a child. You have an angel here in Judges 13 announcing the birth of Samson just as much as you have an angel appearing unto Mary and to Joseph in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, announcing to them, you shall have a son. You shall bring forth a child. You shall bring forth uh, the man-child that is described in the Old Testament. And not only that, but you have here in in Judges 13 that not only do you announce the birth, does this angel announce the birth of Samson, but the angel also announces kind of the job that Samson will have. And what he will do. And it parallels very much when the angel came to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. and says, she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Um, the angel announces the birth of Christ. The angel announces what his name shall be. The angel announces what his job will be that he shall save his people from their sins. And that's, that's just a beautiful verse to, to, to those of us that, that, that believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There are three questions that can be very uh, truthfully asked about Matthew 1, verse 21, and they're all answered in the positive. Number one, did she bring forth a son? The answer is yes. The angel said, you shall bring forth a son. Did she bring forth a son? Yes. The angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Was he called Jesus? Yes, he was. The angel then said, Thirdly, he shall save his people from their sins. So the question is, did he save anybody from their sins? Well, no, what he did was he made it possible for all men to be saved if they would just do this, that. That doesn't fit the criterion, does it? Did he save his people from their sins? Yes, he did. And Samson, though, uh, his birth is declared. His job is declared. There's enough about Samson that points you to the Lord Jesus Christ and and that you see that there's completeness in Christ. And there's also enough wrong with Samson, as the Bible says that Samson began to deliver Israel. There's enough wrong with Samson to remind you 
just how pure and perfect and holy Jesus is. The next thing uh, that we notice about Samson uh, in chapter 14 is that Samson confronts a lion and defeats him. This is uh, Judges 14. And we'll take about old verse 5. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Samson has a battle with this ferocious animal and very easily defeats the roaring lion. The Apostle Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we are to walk about circumspectly, we are to walk about soberly. Uh, we are to be aware that our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is alive. The devil is real. The devil, in some cases, is a threat to you and me. We should be careful. We should be aware of our situations and our circumstances, knowing that the devil seeks those whom he may devour. He tried to devour the Lord with the cross. The Bible tells us that Jesus, through the power of death, destroyed him, or through death, destroyed him that had the power of death, which was the devil. And in that process, he delivered them who, through fear of death, for all their lifetime, subject to bondage. We are in great turmoil right now in America, are we not? What's the great turmoil that everybody's involved in right now? They're afraid of getting the virus and they're afraid of dying. Friends, I thought Jesus delivered us from the fear of death. Now, this doesn't mean I want to sign up for the death squad tomorrow and depart right now. Because the Apostle Paul himself would say that he was in a strait. Paul himself would say he was in a difficult position. He was in a strait. He was in a difficult place. He had the desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better, is it not? He said, however, to that church there, he said, I desire to stay and be with you, which is needful for you. I think all of us, if we're in our right frame of mind, are probably in that position. We all desire to depart and be with the Lord. And yet we also realize that in some small way we're still beneficial here on earth to those who love us. We're continuing reading to the children the story of Corrie Ten Boom and her family as they went through Holocaust and Second World War. Her and her sister Betsy had gone through jail and gone through several concentration camps. 
We finally read through the passage through a chapter the other night where uh, they're in one of the worst places that they've been in. I believe it's in the town of Ravensbrook in uh, the barracks there. And they're continuing to say, all right, it's time to say what we're thankful for. Just read the book and see if you could be thankful in this position. It was a disastrous place. It was a dirty place. Uh, Betsy, her older sister, as we've said before, seems to have a little more courage and a little more faith than Corey does. And Betsy says, I'm thankful Father's not here. He had died very early on after they were arrested and separated and taken to jail. He died in jail before they got really to the concentration camps. She said, I'm very thankful Father's not here. And yet they were themselves thankful to be in that place for all the people that they were being able to reach and preach the gospel to. It is what it is. Take it for what it's worth. Samson comes upon this lion and kills this lion. As Jesus, our Savior, came upon the devil and ultimately destroyed him. We need to remind ourselves that though afflictions and sadness and difficulties and turmoil and strife abide with us in this life, Paul would remind us that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have great sorrow a lot of times in our life when our loved ones depart this life ahead of us. When the elder departs, that's to be expected. But when the younger departs, it's, well, the Bible describes it as a, a fig tree that loses her figs or she's shaken by an untimely wind is what it's described in Revelations. And any time a child departs, that's exactly what it's described as. That would be a fitting description, an untimely wind has come about. A future generation is lost with the passing of every small child. And while it causes us great sorrow and us great turmoil, as we stop and we think about what could have been, that child is in the presence of Jesus. That child is, is not sad they're there. That child is glad they are there. That person is glad they are there. That person is glad that they are not here in the midst of turmoil and strife that we are in. One more thing that you can notice about there. There's several things about the life of Samson that parallel the life of Jesus Christ. Um, in verse, uh, well, let's see. Continuing in chapter 14, uh, Samson runs into some Philistines and he poses them this riddle. And the riddle is in uh, verse 14. He said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. There is a wisdom that is hid in Solomon. There's a wisdom that is hid in his experience. There's a wisdom that is hid in him. And it is hid from everybody around him. And he presents 
this riddle. He presents essentially a mystery to those that are around him. And nobody can discern this riddle. Nobody can discern this mystery. The only way that they would come to the knowledge of this riddle is that it be revealed to them by Samson himself. The mystery of the gospel of grace is just that. It is a mystery that has been hid since the world began, and it's hid in God. And the only way that we can understand this is, in fact, that it is revealed to unto us. When Jesus asked Peter, whom do ye say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says, and Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. A preacher can preach so simply that a child can understand it. And yet, without the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the child will never care. And the child will never truly see it. No child, no adult will ever truly come to the knowledge of God without God himself first revealing in them and to them that Christ is the Son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, he hath revealed this. He's the great revealer of truths. He's the great revealer of all things secret. It was the same thing said about Daniel when Daniel appeared uh, before uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had all those dreams and his wise men were uh, unable to interpret the dreams. And as a matter of fact, the wise men were even unable to tell Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed. Not just the interpretation of the dream, but the dream himself is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, if you can't answer my request, you claim to be wise men with wisdom beyond the rest of us. If you can't answer this, I'm going to kill all of you. And all of you included Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And when Daniel heard that, he said, hold on, wait a minute, let's, uh, let's think about this. And Daniel appeared or appealed to the God of glory. And God reveals unto him not only the interpretation of the dream, but the dream itself. And when he comes before Nebuchadnezzar and, and presents unto him the dream and the interpretation of it, Nebuchadnezzar says, well, is not this a fine young man in whom the spirit of the gods is in? There's something different about him. It's different about these other people over here who've been swindling me all these years is what he was saying. When it came to Peter and the rest of the apostles in the book of Acts, it says that the Bible says that they were ignorant and unlearned men. They were not intelligent as far as the world's standards went. But the Bible says that they were ignorant and unlearned men and the people took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Sometimes a fine understanding and working and knowledge of the Bible can be far greater than anything the world could provide to us. Kind of getting late in the sermon a little bit, so let's uh, we'll skip ahead to some some things about Solomon because I'm mean, about Samson uh, because Samson was a great and mighty man of God. But throughout these uh, three short chapters or so of Samson's life, you're going to find the strengths and you're going to find the weaknesses of this godly man. 
Uh, there's a phrase that appears uh, a number of times uh, within this uh, chapter of, of, of his life. Uh, chapter 13, verse 24 says, The woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Notice verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. The Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. Notice in verse 6 of chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 6 says, This is the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him, that is the lion, as he would have rent a kid. Chapter 15. And verse 14, and when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. You get this idea that when Samson prevailed against his enemies, it was at a time when the Spirit of God came upon him. That this strength that Samson seemed to have was not something that was just endued in him on a day-to-day basis. It was something that occurred when the Spirit of God came upon him. Remember Paul said in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There was something that occurred. And Samson became strong at that time. The problem that happened in Samson's life was that the stronger you become in the world around you, the more people dislike you. The Philistines pressed everybody in Samson's life to find out where Samson's strength came from. Pause and think about that, that statement a little bit. The Philistines are pressing uh, Samson's wife, Delilah, eventually. Or uh, I think it, I don't even think it says it's, she's his wife. She's she's a mess, is what she is. Uh, the Philistines press her to find out where does his strength come from. If that's the question, where does his strength come from? then Samson is probably not this big, muscular, hokey-looking person that you see in all the kids' books and all the cartoons. Because they would know where his strength came from. You know, his physical stature, his muscles, things like that. I'm willing to, to argue a little bit that Samson probably looked no better than I do. Maybe Samson was... You know, maybe he was no bigger than my son Samuel, who's skinny as a rail. Maybe he's no bigger than I was when I was in high school. That would cause great question, would it not? If someone skinny as a rail like me, frail as a bone, stood before a thousand Philistines and whooped them all in this passage as with a jawbone of an ass, people are going to ask, where did he get that strength from? The strength had to come from God. We have to remind ourselves that our strength comes not from my devotion and not from my de- determination. The strength to accomplish a task 
comes from God. We cannot avoid addiction. We cannot avoid problems. We cannot avoid turmoil. We cannot avoid strife in our life just because we try harder. Just because we want to turn over a new leaf. There's got to come a strength and a power outside of us that enables us to see and be something that we weren't before. That power has to be the power of God. One of the things that you that you learn about Samson's life is that Samson was often somewhat of a loner. Samson was uh, a bit self-willed in his life. You notice this from uh, chapter 14. That Samson went down to Timnath, saw a woman in Timnath with the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Really? There's somewhat a principle or there's somewhat uh, a pattern that's laid out all through the Scriptures going all the way back uh, really to Adam. And that is when the men of the Bible went and chose their own brides for themselves, it often led to disaster. But when God was involved and the parents were involved, someone with a little bit more of understanding was involved, things went a whole lot smoother. Go back and read the Bible and prove me wrong. But I think you're going to find out, even in uh, the case of Esau, he went and chose two wives to the thorn of his flesh and to the problem to Isaac and Rebekah. But when Abraham was involved in finding a bride for his son Isaac. To start with, it went really well. When God was involved bringing a bride to Adam, to start with, it went really well. But in Samson's life, he's not interested in listening to what anybody else has to say. And that's kind of a problem that a lot of people get with power and with fame and with prestige you kind of get to a point in life where you're not interested in listening to what anybody else has to say. Samson really wasn't interested in listening to what anybody else had to say. And when you look through the Scriptures and you look at Samson's life, Samson not only didn't have an interest in listening to what other people had to say, Samson didn't have an interest in learning from his mistakes. You have this daughter uh, of the Philistines in Timnath. And, of course, his father asks him, he says, What's, why do you want to go down to the daughters of Timnath? Why do you want to go down to these Philistines? Is there not a girl in Israel that's good enough for you? We've got this strange woman here in chapter 14. Chapter 16, verse 1, Samson just goes down to Gaza unto a harlot. And in the last half of 16, 
It says in verse 4, it came to pass afterwards that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. What was, what was the message about Solomon last week? Solomon loved many strange wives. Samson's here in the same position. He's loved many strange women. Did you notice that the Bible never says that anybody loved Samson? Nowhere, nowhere in this passage does it say anybody truly loved Samson. David sinned with Bathsheba. <clears throat> Solomon had uh, 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. Now, I failed, I guess I, I think I failed to discuss what a concubine was last week. A concubine is simply a woman who is sort of a second class wife. She doesn't hold the same level as the wife does. So if, if there's death and inheritance passed out, the initial wife gets everything. The concubine gets nothing. She was simply there to bear children and to please the man. We've got other words for that in American language nowadays. Keturah was Abraham's concubine. So was Hagar. Later in the book of Judges, there's a Levite priest that has a concubine who's taken by the men of the city of Benjamin and they abuse her all night and she goes back home and dies on the doorstep and the priest cuts her into 12 pieces and sends her through. You've heard this story. It's interesting where this word finds itself in the Old Testament. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Samson was constantly in. I don't think that there's any one sin that's any more detrimental or common to human beings than what we're talking about right now. I don't think the church has had to deal with any one sin any more than this problem of intimacy between men and women down through the ages. And you know what? We still ain't got it figured out. And Samson didn't have enough sense to learn, especially when he's dealing with Delilah. She deceives him and nags him at least three times to tell him where his strength came from. His first wife was angry that he had told a, a riddle to these other men out there, and she was angry that he had not told her. He said, I hadn't even told my own mom and daddy. See, we said earlier that Samson was prone to being alone. Even when he was with people, he was prone to being alone. Didn't tell anybody anything. Didn't seek anybody's advice. He just kind of went about it himself. Uh, he was alone when he slew the lion. Therefore, he was the only one that knew really where the riddle came from. Uh, but let me, let me mind you of this as well. Samson was also called a Nazarite. He was not to cut his hair. He was not to drink any strong drink. And Nazarenes were not supposed to come around anything dead. Here's where being alone got him in, pro in trouble. If you're supposed to be a Nazarene, obviously don't cut your hair. That's visible. Everybody can see that. 
Right, Jeff? Uh, if you drink any strong drink, they may not see you drink it, but they can see the effects of it when you drink too much of it. But to be around a dead thing, there's no real effect to that. You can't see anything outwardly to it. When Samson killed that lion, he then comes back passing by and he sees in the carcass of that lion that a bunch of honeybees had made a nest. And he draws out of that lion uh, this sweet honey, puts it in a jar, takes it on to his mom and dad. He never should have touched it. He's now defiled. And he gets that way being alone. The picture of Christ, by the way, in the lion is out of the strong came forth sweetness or out of the eater came forth meat. The picture of Christ in this instance is that death is something that is a danger to all of us as this roaring lion until we see that Christ himself has already gone to death defeated death, and he's alive forevermore. So death is not a dangerous animal to us. It is actually a sweet release at times. But when Samson was often alone, danger awaits. And that's really the, the issue even in our own life. We can look around and we can see people now who like to be alone or they like to stay alone. That's exactly the kind of person the devil wants to attract. He wants to deal with those who feel to be alone. Gangs on our streets prey on children who think they're alone. Who think no one loves them. Every politician, every four years, wants to stand up and talk to those who feel like the government has forgotten. That's why the pendulum is constantly swinging back and forth, back and forth, because one group stands up and says, the other group has forgotten you, and I'll take care of you, and then the next four years that group has forgotten you, and that's why we're constantly in this state of perpetual change and perpetual motion and perpetual uneasiness. If you're, though, a person who likes to isolate themselves, danger may often await you. <clears throat> Studies have been done, and they found out that around about around the age 15 or 16 to about the age of 25, there sort, there sort of comes over a child this idea of doing their own thing. Of course, those of you that have ever had children know that me, myself, do it by myself started at a very early age, uh, a lot earlier than 14 or 15. But it just really kind of comes to manifestation vocally and outwardly around 15, 16, 17, until about the time they're 25. I want to do it myself, be myself, be my own boss, sell my own ship, do my own thing. You ever noticed how when the Lord sent out his disciples, he did not send them out one by one to go have some fun? He sent them out two by two, one to watch over you. His disciples were constantly together. This is why the Lord said in the beginning in Genesis, He said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make for him and help 
meat. He made all the animals, and yet it still says that there was no man, no thing found to be a proper helpmeet to the man. Therefore, when God decided to make a helpmeet for the man, he did not come to the dust of the earth. He did not come to the trees of the air. He did not come to the birds of the air or the fish of the sea. He came back to the man and took from the man a rib and made a woman and brought the woman to the man. And they twain were to be one flesh. When we were at the wedding of uh, Rebecca and Will a couple of weeks ago, a um, beautiful wedding, but there's something that uh, Brother Sam had said during that that just really kind of struck me at that moment. Um, the Bible says that uh, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That we've, we've read that, right? That's, that's not a strange text to us. Y'all hadn't read that? Matthew 19, I believe, is what the Lord said, that uh, he that made them from the beginning made them male and female. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Somewhere around 15, we've already said they want to leave anyways. Things get too rough and too wild at home. And that's, I always thought that, golly, I just can't wait till I leave home and I just do my own thing. Boy, that didn't work out too well for me. It's real easy, though. They, they, people get in them this idea to leave, get out, go do something else. That's real easy to do. Samson, as we see here, cleaved to two or three different people. It's easy to find somebody to kind of walk down the road with. But I thought that last phrase, and they too shall be one flesh, is probably the hardest thing human beings have yet to accomplish. It is very difficult for the two of them to be one flesh in agreement, in purpose, in mind, in desire, in life. And that was the case in, in Samson. These wives really weren't on his side. These women weren't on his side. He was alone. He should have taken note when Delilah had said to him, you know, tell me the source of your strength. And he makes up some ridiculous thing and, and that comes to pass. And she comes the next morning. She, he says, tie me with, you know, cords or something that are brand new. And, and so she ties him up while he's sleeping and she says, the Philistines be upon thee. And he rises up and whips them all. And then the next thing he says, tie my hair to a, you know, a weaver's beam or something like that. And she does that. And she says, the Philistines be upon thee. And he rises and whips them all again. And finally she's like, why are you mocking me? He should have said, why are you trying to kill me? But have you ever noticed what a man will do for a woman? that he won't do for anybody else. Samson never fights Delilah. He never fights any of these women. Let, let me drop a little bit of wisdom on you here and see if this is true in your life. When you and your husband are arguing, 
He finally just shuts up and goes to the other room. Is he being a coward? Is he being ignorant because he doesn't know how to continue to talk with you? No. God didn't make husbands to fight their wives. God made husbands to fight the wicked of this world. The reason that husbands oftentimes don't fight with their wives is because God didn't make them to fight with their wives. And they will shut down and they will shut up and they will go hide themselves because God did not create the husband to fight the wife. But she will continue to fight him and nag him until the whole house burns itself down. Delilah nagged him. The first wife nagged him. I don't understand. I don't understand this. I don't understand how we all can read the Bible and still not learn from the lesson He finally tells her that my biggest strength is if you shave my head, I'll be like all the other men. And really it wasn't even in the hair itself. His strength was not in the fact he had long hair. His strength was in the commitment of God and the God of his commitment. It started with God and it came down to him. And you'll find that the longer you are connected with God, better off you are in life. It, it's okay to be alone once in a while because Jesus himself was alone, but God, Jesus was alone on a mountaintop praying to the Father. Jesus spent a lot of alone time with God. The problem is, is that we like to be alone in the world. And that's where a lot of our problems come from. So he tells her, shave my head, I'll be just like everybody else. She shaves his head. How do you be asleep and not know somebody is shaving your head? That, that's always been a baffling thing to me. But here he is with his head in her lap. Maybe there's a spiritual lesson there that is very easy to fall deep asleep with your head in the lap of sin. And it says here that she called and said, Philistine, uh, Samson, uh, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. This is Judges 16 and verse 20. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. From wisdom means he knew not. He knew not that the Lord was departed from him. The Philistines were, were in they were in an awful hurry to find out the strength of this, this great man Samson. They were in an awful hurry. To get rid of him because he was essentially a thorn in their flesh. In America, 
I dare say that uh, there are multitudes in America today that are in an awful hurry to get rid of Christianity. They're in an awful hurry to throw off the chains and shackles of traditional thinking. They don't realize that in ridding themselves of these things they think are a trouble, they are also going to rid themselves of themselves as well. Samson lives his last days. As the Philistines come upon him at this time and the Lord has departed from him, the Philistines come upon him and, and gouge out his eyes and blind him and then bring him down to uh, their places for him to grind on a millstone the rest of his days. He, he spends the remaining portion of his days blinded and grinding, just walking in circles the rest of his days. Y'all ever noticed in the Bible that the only blind people in the Bible are blind men? The Bible never talks about blind women. Blind Bartimaeus who came to Jesus. Uh, there was the blind man who came to the Lord and the Lord uh, spit on his eyes or spit in the mud, put it on his eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. There was the other blind man uh, who could see who could see nothing and the Lord Halfway healed him, and he said, I could see tree, men as trees walking. And the Lord completely healed him. He says, I see men as men and trees as trees. Go through the Bible. The only blind people in the Bible are blind men. You say, what's the significance of that? Doesn't the Lord call the Pharisees blind gods? He says, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. Um, doesn't he call the leaders in Israel in the Old Testament deaf, dumb, blind dogs that cannot bark? Say something's going to be real ugly, I guess, right now in our age of political correctness. Let me ask you this question. Why do we need women in the military? Why do we need women in politics? Are there not enough men to lead the charge? I see some heads nodding. You see what I'm getting at, don't you? How did we get to this position? How did we get to the point where our men cannot see how to lead? How did we get to the point in America where we're angry at a boy who defended himself from someone beating him in the head with a skateboard? You know, when, when the prosecuting attorney did y'all watch that case, by the way, at all? Did you watch any of it? The prosecuting attorney, or one of the prosecuting attorneys, said that that young man should not have defended himself because really in life, sometimes we all just need to take a beating. He said it. I saw him say it. That statement can only be made in a sterile, controlled environment. Standing here in your little clean little suit in front of everybody who's smiling at you, you got a bailiff over here off to the side with a gun on his hip ready to defend the judge and, and any one of the, the lawyers against somebody in the crowd. This, but when you get out in the streets and there is no law and there is no order, you can't make ridiculous statements like that. 
But you can make those statements in nice, controlled, sterile environments. Where did we get to the point where that is what we are thinking? We have the blind leading the blind. And in their efforts to uh, bring Samson down and mock him and make a fool of him, they have a party here in Judges 16. And they bring him into the house of their god, Dagon. They're sitting in Dagon's temple here. But we know all about Dagon, don't we? Uh, They brought the Ark of the Covenant there to the Philistines one time in front of Dagon. And uh, boy, that was a mess, wasn't it? Boy, that day that holiness invaded the house of Dagon and they didn't want to have anything to do with God. They threw that Ark of the Covenant out and they stayed with their old crippled little God. Human beings are always like that, are they not? Human beings by nature, when they see that God is right, when they see God overruling them, when they see God complicating their day and raining on their parade, what they want to do is throw God out so they can go back to their happy little idols. And they bring Samson into their house of Dagon now. Because they've captured the strong men of Israel. They've captured a human being. They've not captured the true strength of Israel. You can shut down the gospel. You can shut down the churches. You can take every one of our preachers out in the street, shoot us in the head, and burn us at the stake. But you can't stop God. Paul said to young to the young minister Timothy, I go bound in the spirit to, to Rome. But the word of God is not bound. The Holy Spirit has the ability to go places where the gospel cannot. It can go beyond the Iron Curtain in Russia. It can go beyond the Bamboo Curtain in China. It can go beyond places where men cannot. And it will go right into Caesar's palace if God so wills it. They bring Samson into the house of Dagon to mock and make fun of him. And a little child is now leading what was the strong man of Israel at once. And, and the Bible says that it just so happened during this time that Samson's hair began to grow. And the Spirit of God returned unto him once again. He says to the little child, he says, put me on the pillars. Find the pillars wherein the whole building stands. And, and place me there that I may lean and prop myself. This ignorant child, only because he hasn't been taught any better. He says, sure, why not? Let's just go over here. And Samson prays to the Lord. It's turned my strength unto me. He pushes the pillars over and the whole house falls killing all the Philistine worshipers there and Samson himself, by the way. The last and final picture of Jesus Christ is that in his death, he accomplished more than in his life. In his death, he killed more Philistines than he did battling with them all his days. And in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he accomplished more in that time than he did the three years of his short little ministry. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He raised a few dead people at that point. But because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, 
He has done away with deafness and blindness and sickness and cancer and everything else and death itself for all eternity. Samson was just a picture of the true strong man of Israel. But we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that it's not us that's strong. It's not us that's truly courageous. It's not us that's truly fearful. It's the Spirit of God working in us. Paul himself would say, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the Spirit of God that was in me. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, as we mentioned last week, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Samson was an individual who had a lot of promise ahead of him. But the Bible tells us that he only ruled Israel or only judged Israel for 20 years. I kind of get the feeling if he had behaved himself a little bit more, he might have ruled for 40 years. If it weren't for God, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have judged any years. This story, though it be thousands of years old, is it not just as new today as it ever was? Can you think in your own life, those around you, that, that were filled with promise? Think in your own life, situations around you that were promising to you. Because there was some great sin that rose up. It all came crashing down. If you're still alive right now looking at me, life's not over. The situation is not completely hopeless. Jesus is still alive, isn't he? Last time I checked, when y'all talked to him this morning, did he, did he say anything different? He's still alive. He's still on his throne. And the life that you live, that you think is such a great mess, when it's all said and done, he can still turn it into a fantastic message. You might give up on yourself. Don't give up on Thank you for your good, patient attention.